Day 42 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. We'll be continuing today with the construction of all of the temple items as led by Bezalel in Exodus chapters 36 through 38, reading out of the ESV translation by Crossway. But before we begin, if you could please help us out by hitting that like button, that could be one of the tiniest ways that you can give back to this ministry if it has blessed your life in any way. And that will continue to help these videos continue across the world, spread the love for the word of God, the passion for his word, and ultimately growing relationships with Christ, which we know is God's heart. That's what He wants from us. And so you can help us to play a part in that. And as always, if you have any questions, you can check out the show notes or the description box or head to our website, heartdive.org. Kudos to all of you all for showing up on this Sunday before watching football. I'm not going to say who I'm rooting for. Go Chiefs. And the subscriber count just goes down. I'm just kidding. I hope that's not the case here. You got to give me some grace. I went to high school in Missouri. All right, let's get into it. Chapter 36, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So this is a pretty straightforward command. If you've got skill, intelligence, and know-how, you shall work. And Bezalel and Aholiab go down in history as some of the best workers because they were both willing and able. Both of those qualities are needed. It's like sitting in the exit row of an aircraft. You must be at least 15 years old and have the capability to operate the door. But not only that, You have to be willing. So they will ask you, are you willing and able to assist in the unlikely event of an emergency? And if you didn't know this about me, I used to be a flight attendant for 12 years and that's why I know this. But a lot of us, we have the skills and the abilities, but we aren't willing to do the work that God has called us to because it seems too daunting of a task or maybe it seems like it won't lead us to where we wanna go. So heart check, are you both willing and able to step up to do the work that the Lord has commanded. And if not, what's holding you back? Verse two, and Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. So remember when this contribution was requested, there was no manipulation. Moses simply said, hey, this is what we need. And the people just started bringing it. And so much so that they're now overflowing with resources. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 let's put a stop to this. Because he didn't have that kind of greedy heart where he was going to continue to throw it all in the storehouse for a rainy day. That's the kind of giving and receiving that the Lord Lord is going to bless. And this also shows us how well organized and planned out these projects were. Moses knew exactly what he needed, and he wasn't about to take anything more than that. Verse 8, and all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with 10 curtains. Now, in the making of this tabernacle, this is going to be about a six-month project that will now span through chapter 40. 
They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain of the first set. Likewise, he made them on the edge of the outermost curtain on the second set. He made 50 loops on the one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposite one another, and he made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains one to the other with clasps. So the tabernacle was a single whole." He also made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits and the breadth of each curtain 4 cubits. The 11 curtains were the same size. He coupled 5 curtains by themselves and 6 curtains by themselves. And he made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain of the one set and 50 loops on the edge of the other connecting curtain. And he made 50 clasps of bronze to couple the tent together that it might be a single whole. And he made for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins. Are you still awake? Don't doze off. Even though this might go over your head a little bit, just remain faithful in reading because when you do, it shows that you care about the detail just as much as God did. So hang in there. Then he made the upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. 10 cubits was the length of a frame and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. Each frame had two tenons for fitting together. He did this for all the frames of the tabernacle. The frames for the tabernacle he made thus, 20 frames for the south side, and he made 40 bases of silver under the 20 frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. So remember those silver bases kept the tabernacle up off the ground. For the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, he made 20 frames and their 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. For the rear of the tabernacle, westward, he made six frames. He made two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the year, and they were separate beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. He made two of them this way for the two corners. There were eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases under every frame, two bases." He made bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the tabernacle at the rear westward. And he made the middle bar to run from end to end halfway up the frames, and he overlaid the frames with gold and made their rings of gold for holders for the bars, and overlaid the bars with gold. He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns. So long story short, he's now put up the framing of the tabernacle. He made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen with cherubim skillfully worked into it. He made it. So remember, this is the veil that would separate the holy place of the tabernacle from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant would be, which is the place where only the high priest could enter once a year. And for it, he made four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold and he cast for them four bases of silver. He also made a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework and its five pillars with their hooks. He overlaid their capitals and their fillets were of gold, but their five bases were of bronze. 
Now, I remember back in the day, probably in my 20s, when I would read these scriptures. And at that time, I was doing the SOAP method of devotions, which if you don't know what that is, that's you read the reading for the day and you simply look for one or two scriptures that speak to your heart and you write the scripture. So that's the S, the O would be the observation, like what's going on here? Here's what's happening. And this is how it applies to today. And then the A would be, this is how it applies to my life specifically. And then the P would be, here's my prayer. And I remember that I would read these chapters and I had nothing to say. I had nothing to write. And all I would put in my journal was, God made the tabernacle. And I remember my sister just cracking up at that. She thought it was so funny. And I could find no meaning in this. I couldn't envision it. It went so far over my head. It made no sense. But now, whenever I see God's heart and the way that he constructed things, the order, the beauty, the detail, the intricacy, and I relate it to my life and the way that he does the same for us, I'm like, okay, I get it. And so as we continue to read of the construction of all of these different items in the tabernacle, try to picture it in your mind. I will try to remember to put up some images, but also we're going to take a look at the significance of these things so that it doesn't just go over our head or when we read it later, it's like, oh, the ark, what is that? I'm not sure. We want to know what these things are. So we're going to stop in between. So chapter 37, Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold and put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And he made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces one to another, toward the mercy seat were the faces of the cherubim. So what is the ark? Well, the ark was in the holy of holies or the most holy place. This was the central focus of the tabernacle. And this was where God would speak to the high priest above the mercy seat. That detail wasn't included here, but we did see that the mercy seat was included. And that is where the sins of the people would be atoned for on the day of atonement. So how does this apply to our lives today? Well, it makes us realize and be so grateful for what Jesus did for us that we don't have to try to do any striving or reaching to be able to know God, but he comes down to us and he came down to us through the Word made flesh. It was Jesus, our mercy seat, who paid the price. He paid the atonement. He was the perfect sacrifice so that we could be righteous before the Lord. So it's kind of like He paid for the tickets, and now we just got to show up at the gate. And another thing that's significant about the ark is that it housed the two tablets, the Ten Commandments. Verse 10, he also made the table of acacia wood. So this would be the table of showbread. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold around it. And he made a rim around it a handbreadth wide and made a molding of gold around the rim. He cast for it four rings of gold and fastened the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame were the rings as holders for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table and overlaid them with gold. And he made the vessels of pure gold that were to be on the table, its plates and dishes for incense and its bowls and flagons 
with which to pour drink offerings. So this table of showbread, remember that it would hold the two stacks of those round circular showbreads. These 12 breads would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And this would serve as a continual reminder of God's promises and his covenant, as well as his provision. So Aaron and his sons would eat the bread and this bread would be replaced every single week. So of course, this makes us think of the fact that we have an even greater covenant through Jesus, the bread of life. And we are able to have that fellowship with him, that communion with him at his table. Verse 17, he also made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And there were six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself were four cups made like almond blossoms, with their calyxes and flowers and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out of it. Their calyxes and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. And he made its seven lamps and its tongs and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils out of a talent of pure gold. So this lampstand, the purpose of it was to provide the light for the tabernacle. The lamps burned both day and night. And of course, they were filled with oil and the wicks were trimmed by the priests. So have you ever been around those kinds of people who just light up a room whenever they come in? And if we have the right heart, these people will actually bring joy to our lives. But if we are cynical or bitter or we're the envious type, these people will tend to annoy us because their light exposes the darkness within us. And that annoyance is actually our spirit that is dealing with our flesh. We are called to be the light of the world, to be a light in the dark places. So heart check, do you bring light into a room or do you snuff out the light that already exists? Verse 25, he made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit and its breadth was a cubit. It was square and two cubits was its height. So remember, a cubit is about 18 inches. So this was kind of small. Its horns were of one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And he made a molding of gold around it and made two rings of gold on it under its molding on two opposite sides of it as holders for the poles with which to carry it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He made the holy anointing oil also and the pure fragrant incense blended as by the perfumer. So remember that the altar of incense was the place where the priests would burn incense regularly. There would be no strange fires or unauthorized fires on it, no animal sacrifices, it would have blood sprinkled on it once a year to cleanse it, but there was no actual animal that would be laid on this altar. It was only for the incense. And because incense typically represents prayer, the way that it is a sweet fragrance to the Lord, we too should have a regular prayer life, morning and evening. I say all day long, talk to the Lord in your spirit. Chapter 38. Now he made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, five cubits its breadth. It was a square and three cubits was its height. 
He made horns for it on four corners. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils of the altar, the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the firepans. He made all its utensils of bronze. And he made for the altar a grating, a network of bronze under its ledge, extending halfway down. He cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it with them. He made it hollow with boards. So the altar of burnt offering was the place where the animal sacrifices would be made because, of course, it was required for their sin and to be able to justify them before God. It would take place on a regular basis, bringing these sacrifices to the altar. And of course, this makes us think of Jesus as our perfect sacrificial lamb who took away the need for these animal sacrifices because his blood atoned for or covered all of our sin, past, present, and future. And if you want to read more about it, you can find that the fact that animal sacrifices are no longer required in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 8, he made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. So this bronze basin was for the priest to be able to wash after they made these bloody sacrifices, but this would represent their need to be clean before the Lord, before they enter into the tabernacle. And we are continually washed by the blood of the lamb and also by the word of God. But what's interesting here is that it was made from the mirrors of those who were ministering, the women who were at the entrance of the tent ministering. And mirrors in this day, they weren't like today's mirrors. I mean, they were typically polished bronze brass or bronze, which would only offer a muted reflection. But regardless, it's significant to note that the women gave up their only measure of outward beauty for the ability of the priests to purify themselves before entering into the tabernacle. So they placed more value on the internal than the external. And when I think of these muted mirrors, I kind of think of social media, how so much value is placed on the image that we portray. We will work so hard to display the high highlights of our lives, while our internal state lies in ruins. Or some of us have profiles that don't reflect the character of God at all. It's a muted display of His character. And some of y'all are thinking, I hate social media. I don't even have social media. That's wonderful. So this heart check might not be for you. But for the rest of us, heart check. What does your mirror or social media reflect? Does it mute God's character or bring Him glory? And would you be willing to give it up for his purpose? Verse 9, And he made the court. For the south side, the hangings of the court were of fine twined linen, a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets uh, were of silver. And for the north side, there were hangings of a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the west side were hangings of 50 cubits, their 10 pillars and their 10 bases. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. For the front to the east, 50 cubits. The hangings for one side of the gate were 15 cubits, with their three pillars and three bases. On both sides of the gate of the court were hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three bases. All the hangings around the court were of fine twined linen, and the bases for the pillars were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars with their fillets were of silver. The overlaying of their capitals was also of silver, and all the pillars of the court were filleted with silver. And the screen for the gate of the court was embroidered with needlework in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It was 20 cubits long and five cubits high in its breadth, 
corresponding to the hangings of the court, and their pillars were four in number. Their four bases were of bronze, their hooks of silver, and the overlaying of their capitals, and their fillets of silver. And all the pegs for the tabernacle and for the court all around were of bronze. So this court was basically the fence that was around the tabernacle, which would protect anyone from just stumbling into the tabernacle in an unholy manner, or it would also protect the tabernacle from the entrance of wild animals. So anyone could come into the outer court to bring their sacrifices, which again, and the tabernacle was reserved only for the priests. Verse 21, these are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses, the responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer and embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the gold that was used for the work in all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. So a talent apparently was about 70 pounds, I believe. So this would have been over 2000 pounds of gold. So with all of these items together, we're talking in the millions of dollars by today's standards. The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca, a head, that is a half a shekel by the shekel of the sanctuary for everyone who was listed in the records from 20 years old and upward for 603,550 men. The 100 talents of silver were for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. A 100 bases for the 100 talents, a talent, a base. And of the one 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. The bronze that was offered was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. With it, he made the bases for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar and the bronze grating for it and all the utensils of the altar, the bases around the court and the bases of the gate around the court, all the pegs of the tabernacle and all the pegs around the court." Okay, so in the end, we see such incredible detail that was laid out on God's blueprint. Every intricacy mattered, and He ensured that it was followed to a T. And if we know that He is a God who cares far more for His children than material items, imagine the blueprints of our lives up in heaven. Every single detail that has been laid out we are the Bezalels and the Oholiabs who have been appointed to carry out those details as he penciled them in. And whenever we do, we will have an unshakable and indestructible faith. But the moment we veer off and we get distracted by other projects, that is where our project gets delayed and more expensive. And we wonder why things aren't happening or why we feel so deflated at the end of the day. But whenever we follow his plan, we're given divine strength ability, know-how, wisdom, and it doesn't make sense. This is what it means when we pray, your will be done, Lord, here on earth as it is in heaven. This is our way of saying, we are your workers and we are ready to follow your blueprint as created in heaven. So heart check. Are you following God's blueprint for your life? Let's take a look at some of our deep dive questions. How does the spirit of generosity and skilled ability come together in today's church? What does the detail, high standard of excellence, and artistic beauty of the sanctuary say about God's character? Do you live out your life to represent this? 
Is there a sanctuary in your life? Are there any items today that would be significant artifacts for future generations like those in the tabernacle? And what were the roles of the ministering women at the entrance of the tent of meeting? How was this significant in this day? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. What a beautiful blueprint you have laid out, not only for the tabernacle, but for our lives as well. We thank you for every detail that you have so intricately woven together. I pray that we will rise to the occasion as willing and able workers to carry out your will. Forgive us, Lord, where we have failed to believe that we were capable or where we may not have recognized that the skills and abilities have been given to us by you. Will you continue to reveal those things to us? I pray that your presence will continue to give us guidance in the construction of our own lives. We know that the best work is done whenever we do so as a community. From the beginning, you never intended for us to do this life alone. So I pray specifically for those who may be isolating themselves from fellowshipping. Will you help them to find their place among others so that they can be a contributor to a greater purpose? We so desire to use our gifts and our resources in service to you. Show us, Lord, where we can be best utilized. And I pray that our hearts will be generous in giving of our time and our talent and our treasure. I pray that we will desire to pour out so much that it will be more than enough, just as it was here. Thank you for your divine guidance in building up the church. I pray that we will be unified and always pointing others back to you, Jesus. May we put more emphasis on the heart than the outward appearance. I pray that our reflection will be one that is pure and one that shines your light rather than a muted image of who you are. Forgive us where we may have misrepresented you in the way we present ourselves to the world. We see your desire for order and beauty and excellence, and I pray that we too will desire this in everything we do so that we represent your work ethic. There is no good that comes from disorder or ugliness or laziness. So give us the strength we need to get it together. I pray that we treat every aspect of worship with so much care and with a depth of devotion. Thank you that every single offering that we bring blesses your heart, no matter how big or small. You know our intentions, and so I pray that we will see that there is nothing too little to be used by you. So we're incredibly grateful to be one of the small details in your master plan. Thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, 
thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.